Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear John Murray. Here's another fun fact about clowns. They don't get to talk to women very much. <laughs> so right away, it's like, swoosh, she is surrounded with clowns. All be like, <laughs> that and more. But before that, holy shit. You will not believe what I am looking at right in front of my face right now. My brand new MacBook Pro. Oh my God. I haven't had a new laptop since 2007. And I have it because you, you gave to us so generously at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash risk. You know, we have been creating this show since 2009, month by month. <laughs> we break even. We've been through many periods of not knowing whether we could keep going at all. And we've just had to accept, unlike other storytelling shows, which have huge staffs, huge budgets, huge marketing machines through corporations like National Public Radio, we don't have any of that. We just rely on the heart and soul of everyone working on the show and the word of mouth of our fans. Like, I've always said that this show, if the 7 billion people who listen to The Moth, for example, like, like it seems like .001 of them are aware that Risk exists so just month by month we slowly find a little bit more people a little bit more people a little bit more people that's why it means so much that you share the show with other people and that you support us so that we can con continue building building our team continue our touring continue our workshops oh my gosh and continue to be able to afford things like a new laptop once every 10 years. <laughs>
So if you go to patreon.com slash risk, you will find that there's all sorts of wonderful perks there. There's MP3s and photographs and, and diary entries of what's going on behind the scenes. There's extra bonus episodes. There's the original first couple of seasons with all the ads removed. There's all sorts of perks and prizes for, you know, if you can give any amount you want. It could be $3 a month or $5 or ten dollars whatever it is of course the more you give the bigger the prizes you're eligible for but it means the world to us it's really helping us keep this running and improving on what we're doing and that's at p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash risk and no longer is my laptop sitting on a tray of ice cubes to keep the computer's fan from running over my talking <laughs> okay, stamps.com. Folks, did you know that stamps.com can save you time and money and that you can use that time and money to grow your business? I can mail any letter, any package using just my computer and printer, and then the mailman picks it up. I can avoid the hassle of going to the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes, packages, domestic or international. You can create your own stamps.com account in minutes online with no leasing, you know, a, a postage meter or anything like that. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need. They'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And we use Stamps.com at Risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you too can enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Risk. That's Stamps.com, enter Risk. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Now here's the show. The show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Bazika 70 behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Altered States. These are three stories of people who were fucked up. Fucked up on one thing or another. And uh, kind of fucked themselves over in some ways because of it. Well, that <laughs> um, listen, I wanted to tell you guys, I was just on this other podcast called The Twisted Ten. You have to check this out, especially if you're a Risk fan. The Twisted Ten, what they do is they have a guest on, and the guest brings a top ten list. So what I brought was the top ten 
of my favorite risk stories from the past year. My favorite hilarious stories, my favorite horrifying stories, my favorite heartbreaking stories. And what I would do, I, I would play a 60 second clip and then I'd tell the story behind the story, you know, what it was like to help the storyteller prepare, uh, how it went over the night of the show, what people reacted like online. So it's a really fascinating look back at the past year. And if you want to introduce the show to someone, it's perfect because it's like a sampler. You know, it's like a little taste of stories that have really made the mark in the past year. Oh, my gosh. It's episode 48. It's the Twisted 10. It's wherever you find podcasts, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Libsyn. You know the goddamn deal. Now, there's something very special on this week's episode. Someone who we had been talking to about appearing on the show for a long time is finally appearing on the show. But I'm very sad to say he's no longer with us. Oh my gosh, Jupiter Diego was the most extraordinary man, most extraordinary artist, uh, storyteller. You might have heard him before. I believe he's been on Snap Judgment, for example. One of those <laughs> idiosyncratic, eccentric, flamboyant people with a voice like uh, you've never heard before. I, I know that uh, Jupiter did a lot of drugs in his days. I think that that might have affected, to some extent, the extraordinary voice that he had. But he sent us a ton of recordings at one point, and there was one story he was especially passionate about getting on risk, so that is the story we're going to feature today. Uh, but before that, we're going to hear from another one of our very, very favorite people, Miss Margot Lightman. Margot is one of the people who first inspired me to take up storytelling in the first place. She has a book called Long Story Short, which is kind of a guide to encourage and support people who want to get started with this whole storytelling thing. And Margot shared this one at Los Angeles PodFest. You know, I don't even remember what the hell year we were there. This is from the archives. This is going back a bit. It was a very small room at Los Angeles PodFest in this hotel, but a super fun story. And, you know, I listened back to it for the first time in years, and I was like, let's throw that on the goddamn show. We always love it when Margot shares a story. So here she is now. This is Margot Lightman with a story we call Orphan. Hello. Uh, so I moved to Los Angeles three and a half years ago because I moved here from New York City. And New York City, frankly, just got way too expensive for me. I just couldn't manage it there. And I found myself towards the end of my years in New York City scamming on a regular basis just to get by. And it was thrilling. Uh, the first time that I felt the thrill was I went to a movie theater and movies in New York City are probably like at this point $20 a ticket. I mean it was they were really expensive at the time and who lives there? You do. How much are they now? 15. Okay, so at the time, maybe it was like 12 and it was still a lot of money for me at the time. And so when I went to buy the ticket, I 
put my card in and I accidentally hit the senior citizen rate, which was $9. And it came out and I was like, oh, this is going to be a pain to return. I'm just going to roll with it. Um, so I went in and I got my ticket ripped and nobody noticed or questioned it. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do every time. And this is how I'm going to survive in New York City. <laughs> So I started doing this on a regular basis. I never got caught. About a couple years into doing this, I met this guy, and we'd been dating a little bit, and we were going to the movies, and I was like, listen, you know, uh, I've been doing this thing. I don't know if you're interested, but I, I buy the senior citizen ticket, and I never get caught, and nobody ever notices, and it saves money. And he was like, I'm in. And he goes, and then what we should do is sneak into a second movie afterwards and get two movies for the price of one at the senior citizen rate. <laughs> And so naturally, we got married. Um, <laughs> perfect. And, and we just started a, you know, a marriage of scamming the movie system, and we just rolled with it, and I, I loved every second of it. We moved to the Upper West Side, where there was this one movie theater that had an upstairs and a downstairs, and in the downstairs, no one was ever paying attention to, to when we got our tickets ripped. So we go in once, and we buy two senior citizen tickets, and we go to see the remake of Friday the 13th and then we snuck into Medea Goes to Jail which was much better uh, an experience I'll never forget uh, uh, side note I auditioned for a role in Medea Goes to Jail as the white hooker with a coke problem who in the original script died and when I saw it in film lived and had a heroic ending just a fun fact for you guys um, anyway so uh when we walked into that movie, the ticket taker was also double dutying as the popcorn popper. So when we walked in, the ticket taker was scooping popcorn, goes, just go in and never rip the tickets. So when we left Medea Goes to Jail, we still had assembled tickets. And I said, you know, what if we went back with these unripped tickets? I know the date's wrong, but what do you think? And he's like, well, let's try it. So we had to come up with a scam. So I... Like, this is one of the most intelligent things I've ever done in my life. So the scam I came up with was that we came the night before with my parents, senior citizens, uh, and they were supposed to meet us. We bought them tickets, but at the last minute, they didn't show up. So we still have these tickets. Would it be okay if we used these tickets to get into another movie? And they said yes. Okay, so then we went into a third movie on the $9 ticket, and we went to see the Sasha Baron Cohen movie, Bruno. Now, and then we snuck in to an, a fourth movie. So four movies. <laughs> a cost of $9, okay? Like, I have never been happier. And we brought our own popcorn. We popped in the mic. Okay, great night out. And I was like, I can do New York. It's affordable. It is not affordable. So uh, the fourth movie we saw was the best of the four. And the fourth movie was this movie called Orphan. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. <laughs> It is one of my favorite movies of all time. I will give you a brief summary because it's essential to the rest of the story. I will give you a summary of this movie. It stars, uh, I can't pronounce her name, Vera Familia. You know who I'm talking about? And um, Peter Sarsgaard. And what happens is Vera is, uh, she, uh, they had a kid a while ago, but she had a drinking problem and she accidentally drowned that kid in the lake behind the house by accident when she was drunk. And now time has passed and they have another child that's deaf, which makes them a little bit sad. And she's, she's ready to adopt another child. But, you know, she's a sober now and she's ready to adopt, but because she accidentally drowned one of her own in a lake, no adoption agency is giving her a kid. Uh, so she's moving on that she's going to adopt an older child 
child, and she goes to this orphanage to adopt a child, and she goes to adopt, and they really take to this little girl, Esther, and they bring her home, and she's maybe like eight years old. Everything's great, except suddenly there's something very strange about Esther. Um, Now, the first giveaway, in my opinion, is that Esther is wearing the classic black velvet ribbon around her neck, which in, like, every story is a dead giveaway that something is wrong. So she's wearing that, and she's strange, and but that's not the weirdest thing. And now Esther starts doing strange things, like drawing very violent pictures, or pushing around their deaf daughter, or trying to fuck Peter Sarsgaard. And that's strange, you know? It's a little bit odd. So, because she's a little girl, and what comes out slowly throughout the movie is that Esther isn't a little girl at all. Esther has this rare disease, okay, where she looks like a little girl, but she's actually a grown woman, and it turns out she's 32 years old and has been scamming families for years, but she has this weird genetic disease that she forever looks like a child, and that's why she's trying to fuck Peter Sarsgaard, because she's 32, and she's, like, at her sexual peak, and she has needs, you know? But she can't. And so... That's, and then it all makes sense, and she turns out to be this violent, brutal murderer with a strange disease. So at the end of the movie, Vera drowns her purposefully in the lake at the bottom, and everyone really roots for it, and we love... Okay, this is a fantastic movie. No need to see it now, because I've told you everything. Great film. Okay, so I, after this film, become a little bit obsessed with the orphan disease, and I start Googling it and realize that there was once a woman that had, you know, this is a sort of a real disease. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make fun of people's disabilities, but I, I, this is how I can explain it in layman's terms. It's not like Webster, it's not like that. It's like more like you really look like a child, but you are an adult. Okay, so I Google it and I find out that there's like this other case of this woman that had it and she was scamming people and you could have this disease. It's very, very rare, but there are people out there that look like a child, but they're really adults. And it's the, I don't know the technical term, but I call it the orphan disease. So I get obsessed with this. A few months pass. My husband and I, it's our one year wedding anniversary and we're going to do what we decide that we would like to do is to go on a cruise. Don't judge. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about how I feel about cruise ships, which is this, is that you have to let it go. You can't go in there with your attitude like you listen to NPR and you read books. No. (laughs) You go in, because if you judge, if you walk into a cruise ship and you look around, you go, oh, okay, I see why there's an obesity epidemic in America. I can totally see that. I see why George W. Bush got elected twice. You can't do it. You can't think those thoughts when you get on the cruise ship. You gotta get on the cruise ship. You gotta hit the chocolate buffet. You gotta enter the belly flop contest and you gotta have a good time. And you will. You gotta let it go. So that's what we do. We get on this cruise, don't wanna brag, carnival cruise to Canada, and uh, we get on this cruise and we are ready for fun. Okay, we get on the cruise, we have a few drinks, we eat a full meal, we have sex, we go down a water slide, we eat a pot cookie, the boat hasn't even taken off yet. I'm having a great time, and now it's time to get ready for the formal dinner as the boat takes off. And one of the drawbacks of taking a cruise is that they sit you at these group tables where you have to eat dinner with other people that they have decided that you might get along. Carnival has decided which carnival passengers, me and my jaded New Yorker husband, are going to get along with. None of them. None of them. So we, we get, and so we've eaten this pot cookie, you know, which takes a little bit, about an hour to kick in. And we go to the dinner table, and there's these a couple other couples. And there's two seats empty, but we're just eating and talking. And I realize that these people are just, I don't know, they're, they're cruise folk. Like the guy, this guy, 
that we've decided is the best of everybody. This guy just keeps comparing every food that comes out to the food at the Outback Steakhouse and how Outback is superior. And he keeps being like, well, these are some good appetizers. But yeah, the appetizers at Outback, you know, that's some good food. And we're like, yeah, I guess so. And then there's this other couple next to us that's the... Um, I would maybe call them the Ted Bundy couple because he looks like a preppy serial killer and his wife just like keeps putting on red lipstick and pushing food away from her plate and be like, I don't want to get too fat. And, and he's like rolling up his preppy sleeves and it's a little horrifying. And we're waiting for these other two people to come. And we're sitting down and finally these other two people uh, join us and they're sitting right across from us and I don't think anything of it and I'm not really looking. And then I look up I don't know how else to explain it, but the, it's a guy, and it's his girlfriend, and his girlfriend is, she's like, she has the orphan disease. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'm not joking. She has it. She's in a girl dress, but she has a slightly woman face, and she's on a date with a grown man, and they're definitely fa not father and daughter, and there's something very strange about this woman, and I know that she has it. She's like a little girl, but a woman all in one. And I look at them, and I go, oh, my gosh. And in this moment, my husband taps me on the shoulder and he goes, hey, Margo, uh, what's the name of that last movie we saw in the theater again? <laughs> and I just go, we're not doing this right now. <laughs> and in this moment, the pot cookie starts to kick in. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And so we're trying to eat and I'm like, focus on the Outback couple. They're fine, focus on the Outback couple. And I'm trying to have a conversation with them and I can't because they're just so awful. And the worst thing is then that they come over to take the order and the, the orphan will not speak directly to anybody. She'll speak, whisper in her boyfriend's ear, but then and in an evil voice and then the boyfriend will speak for her. And so... The boyfriend, so the waiter comes over and he's like, I'll have the steak. And then you hear this, you hear like, I'll have the broccoli. And it's like, <laughs> and I cannot handle it. Like, I just can't handle it. And so, I, and so I'm trying to distract myself and I look at the woman next to me and, she, and I'm like, what are you going to order? And she's, you know, the, the, the woman with the Ted Bundy husband. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I, I went, recently went on the Special K cereal diet, you know, Special K for lunch, Special K for dinner, Special K for, and I lost 10 pounds. And I was like, because you don't eat. And everything, and it's like, I'm just freaking out and I'm trying not to look at the orphan. I'm trying not to look at her. And then the major D comes over to the table in the midst of all of this. And he goes, is everyone having a good time tonight? And we go, yeah. And then he puts his hands on Orphan's shoulder and he's standing behind her. And he goes, oh, sir, I see you brought your daughter. And she turns around and looks at him and he just goes, okay. <laughs> so, uh, we finished off our meal and excused ourselves early and ran out of there and we were like, we can't do it. We can't sit with Orphan for every meal for the rest of this cruise. Like, we pot cookie or no pot cookie, we can't do it. And so we went to the administration and we complained that we couldn't sit at our table, honestly, for religious differences. That was the only thing we could come up with. And they put us the next night at one of the only uh, singular tables where just a couple could eat alone. We ate there for the rest of the cruise. Uh, we also toasted the next night with the alcohol that we snuck in in Listerine bottles and, and we knew it was going to be a great marriage. Thank you. Hiya, hiya, baby. Yeah, well, 
you know, we've just decided to, uh, just to stay stoned until the whole world blows over. It's a groovy way of relaxing, opening your senses. I put down weed as my drug of choice. And in this moment, the pot cookie starts to kick in. Far out. Groovy. This is really weird. I'm really stoned. Sorry. My brain is like totally fried. <laughs> I'm so fucking high right now. Tony couldn't get over the strangeness of things up here. What do you want, drugs? This stuff will take you to the moon back again. Always heard about this woman named Helene. She was said to be extraordinarily talented as a painter, sublimely beautiful, lithe blonde, six feet tall, sexually very alluring, and on top of all of that, she liked to smoke pot every day in her studio. Well, <laughs> That's all I needed to know. I had to meet this woman. She was married to a doctor named Sig, and I was married to a doctor named Susan. And Susan and Sig worked together. And one day, we were at a church wedding, and I knew that Helene would be there. After the ceremony, I walked the grounds looking for a gorgeous six-foot-tall blonde artist woman. And I found her. I knew it had to be her. And she was standing in a clique of friends talking. I walked up and I said, Helene, uh, yes, she says, my name is Jupiter, and you don't know me, but I have something very important to talk to you about, and I need a private moment. Will you please come with me? She followed me to a remote corner of the church gardens, and I said, look, I know you're married, and you know I'm married, and we know that your husband and my wife work together. Just let me tell you very frankly, I really don't give a fuck about any of that. Let me come straight to the point. You and I are going to become lovers. You shall be my mistress, and we will fuck until eternity. And probably beyond that, <laughs> she started to laugh. She tried to stifle her laughter like a Korean schoolgirl attempting to stifle a sneeze in class. And she says, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, Jupiter or, you know, whatever your name is, uh, let me just tell you right up front that what you are saying is complete nonsense. It will never happen. Thank you, but no thank you. <clears throat> I said, now you look here, Helene. I want you to look into my eyes. And I want you to consider this. I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that you shall become my mistress and that we shall become entwined physically, spiritually, artistically, and sexually for all of our existence and likely all of eternity. <laughs> oh, she laughs out loud. Okay, Jupiter, humor me and tell me how you figure that to be true. It's simple, Helene. I am prepared to walk away from my marriage, to liquidate my assets, sell my house, give away my belongings, and walk the world as a beggar pilgrim in a white loincloth and sandals and nothing else until the last day and moment that I breathe, if that is what is required to prove to you that you are destined to be my lover. Well, the next week, Sid called Susan and said that Helene needed help stretching one of her new large canvases, and uh, would Jupiter possibly be available to help? And actually, I was there within two or three minutes. After the chore was done, Helene and I, standing alone in her house and looking at each other awkwardly in her living room, I couldn't help it. I, I began to shed tears. I fell to my knees and started to cry uncontrollably. I said, Helene, you just don't seem to get it. You just don't seem to understand that I am hopelessly, helplessly, and forever so fucking in love with you. She was about to show me the front door and tell me how inappropriate my behavior had been, but miraculously, right then and there on the spot, her eyes opened wide and large. She took a step or two back, as if she had seen an apparition, or Jesus, or God himself. And she said in her low and sultry voice, Jupiter, why don't you just come with me? And she led me behind the hand to her bedroom. She shut the door. Sitting on the foot of her bed, she quietly unbuttoned her blouse and made herself completely naked as if to make witness before man and God that she was ready. She said, Jupiter, I get it now. I understand. I love you. 
with all my heart, and I am now ready to be your mistress and lover until the end of time. We made out on her hardwood floor for a time, and then she said, that's as far as we can go for now. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, we need the explicit approval of your wife and my husband to have sex before we can go any further. I was like, right, sure, like that's ever going to happen. She said, hey, you let me drive the pink Cadillac. I know how to handle this. Next thing I know... Susan and I are invited to a hot tub party on New Year's Eve at their house. As we all sit naked in their hot tub, Susan notices Helene's fingers floating ever so gently toward the surface of the hot bubbling waters and worse, She observes her fingers naturally intertwining with mine, and she knew, she knew, definitely and right away, that Helene and I were in love as we drove home after midnight. Susan informed me in no uncertain terms that I could not be in love with two women at the same time. Uh, This was simply not permitted. As we got back to our modest apartment, I said, if you are asking me to give up everything I have with Helene, you know, I can't do it. I, I, I will not do it. She said, okay, pack your bags. So I did. I went back to Helene and Sig's house at three in the morning and rang the doorbell, asked Sig if I might stay there just the night as Susan and I were breaking up. And he sat me out in the guest bedroom adjacent to his master bedroom. Now, I did what I'm sure any of you would do, or any mature, unresponsible adult male would do in such a situation, which was that I swallowed a very potent hit of ecstasy, MDMA, and went to sleep when I woke up an hour later. Lying face down, freshly showered, totally naked on the bed, right next to me, was Helene begging me to plunder her depth. I said, I'm tripping my brains out, mind you. I said, but this breaks your own rule. We don't yet have the explicit permission of my wife. And she said, I don't care. I just want you. Don't you get it? I want you to fuck me right now. Oh, this 
30-year-old goddess who just have to wait. I told her, look, even a Sig and Susan were totally on board with this. I'm just not ready. I'm just not emotionally ready yet. I'm a sensitive guy after all. She accepted this, and an hour later, as I'm watching the sunrise, she enters the room and opens her tarry cloth robe, and in one of the most compassionate moves I've ever encountered in my life before or since, she gently pushes her opulent breasts into my face and my mouth. Months later, you know, I was the one who couldn't handle the affair, even with the permission of her husband and my wife. I was the one who could handle it least of all. It was like a celestial axe coming down and splitting my brain into two parts. I became more and more unstable, smoking crack in the studio every day, more unglued by the moment. And guess what? What do you think? She broke up with me. Now, that's just not okay. So again, I did what I am sure any of you would do. Why, any mature adult male under similar circumstances would do. It was obvious. I dug a ditch in the middle of her front yard, four feet deep, and filled it with gasoline. I stripped off all my clothes, climbed into that ditch and poured the remaining gasoline over my head. I was hoping for some good Samaritan to come by with a, a lighter or a match, but <laughs> that's not what was to be. Instead, two cop cars, sirens blaring, four cops, and my mother jumping out of their vehicles, extracting me from the ditch and carting me away to the lockdown psychiatric unit at Cedar sinai Hospital on a 51-54, two weeks. I didn't see Sig or Helene for four years after that day. And it was a very depressing time. But one day, while I was in the 
Rexall Beverly Hills Pharmacy picking up a prescription. I noticed that. Helene was there in line, several people behind me. I gave up my position in line and walked up to Helene. I said, now look here, reprising my original lines. I said, Helene, you are to come with me right now. And we are going to sit on that couch over there. She obeyed, and she followed me to the sofa. We sat down, I said, now look, I know how much hurt I have caused you and others, and uh, you must surely know how much hurt you have caused me. And you know what? None of it matters, and here is why. You and I, right now, are going to heal this rift in the cosmos once and for all and forever. I understand that we shall very likely never be physically close again, and that's okay. But here is the solution to everything that ails us. You and I are right now in this public place going to kiss passionately on this sofa for several minutes. And you will know, and I will know, that it is true, and it was always true, and it will always be true, that we are just passionately in love forever. Ever, that we are lovers artistically, physically, spiritually, and sexually till the end of time, and probably then some. She stared into my eyes, broad lips on the mind. Oh, and that was the longest and most healing kiss of the century at least. And we walked our separate ways and all is good with the universe. This is Risk. This is Post Malone behind me now, and we just heard from the one and only Jupiter Diego. I told you he had a way with expressing himself like I have a way of saying expressing. And before Jupiter, we heard a little uh, marijuana-themed interstitial 
by a friend of ours named Jell Soul and our own episode editor, Mr. Jeff Barr. Now, we have a new sponsor this week that I can't personally talk about because it's women's clothing. So, Cindy Freeman is a member of our staff that we love so very dearly. Cindy helps our storytellers for our tour shows prep their stories. She is truly wonderful at it. Here's Cindy now. So I am so excited to talk about La Tote. I love this service. I live in Brooklyn and I hate shopping. Um, That is because the clerks in my neighborhood either tend to uh, be on the cell phone texting when you're trying to ask them questions so they ignore you or conversely, they chase you around the store trying to convince you that that outfit that your mother would wear would look fabulous on you and they won't let you alone. So I dread shopping. And then there is La Tote. And La Tote is almost like it's a store and you go online and there is so much to choose from. There are so many tops and skirts and pants and jewelry and you choose items and they send them to you and then you get to wear them. And then you get to put them back in this box that is uh, actually it's a bag and it's got uh, postage on it. You just send it back. You go back online and you choose more things. But wait, if you actually like something, you can buy it. You can get as many totes as you want a month. You simply wear them, return, and then you repeat. Fashion shouldn't have to cost a fortune, and you can get up to $700 worth of clothing for only $39 a month. Go to La Tote, that is L-E-T-O-T-E dot com, and get started. Again, it's as low as $39 a month. You fill out your style profile. You sign up. You get a custom tote delivered right to your door. You wear what you want, you return everything else in the mail when you're done, and you will get a brand new box within days. Again, that is latote.com. Enter the code RISK, and then feel fabulous with fashion delivered right to your door. And one more thing, guys. Remember that if you enter the promo code RISK at latote.com, you will get 50% off of your first month. Now, our final story today comes to us from the actor John Murray. John, you can find, he he did a lot of episodes of 30 Rock. He's a comedic actor, does a lot of work through the UCB Theater. You can find him at thejohnmurray.com. And he shared this one at the monthly Risk Live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Here he is now. This is John Murray with a story we call... The Clowns. Thanks, everybody. So when you go through something tragic in your life, uh, everyone always tells you that you're going to come out a better person on the other side. What they don't talk about is the part where you suffer depression and are a real shit heel to everyone. <laughs> Let me give you a quick recap. My father died in the September 11th attacks. He was in Tower 2. He went back upstairs to check on his coworkers that they all got down, and then the building collapsed. I'm an only child. We were a family of three. My mother and I were devastated. 
At the time of the attacks, I was dating this sweet Canadian girl named Veronica. Uh, We've been dating for about five months, so she got to know me and my family. She felt the impact of the loss. And there also was like enough time not to break up with me at the first sign of things getting tough. Not that that thought would have ever occurred to you. She was the first person to call me after my mom on the day of the attacks. She raced out of work when I told her the news about my dad to be by my side. And later, she's helped organize getting everyone out to New Jersey and my mom's house for services. Just really caring stuff. So here's this sweet girl. She goes from dating this nice 22-year-old guy to dating a 22-year-old guy who's dealing with a whole bunch of emotional trauma, not really facing it, and just drinking to cover the pain. I should say, I still was on like a college drinking schedule, which basically means I just binged until I passed out having a few drinks or, uh, you know, just a couple of beers with a taste that didn't make any sense to me. I'd be like, well, I have three beers when you can have 10, brah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I honestly thought that you would go out and get really, really drunk and like maybe stop. You somehow stop and then you get to bed or someone carries you there or something like that. Anyway, this kind of drinking caused a problem between Veronica and I. She was pretty sure I was drinking a lot because of the tragedy. I was drunk and defensive and sure that I was fine. So we would argue a lot about if I was drinking too much until I got passed out from drinking too much. So, you know, and then the next morning we'd wake up and uh, make up and then start that whole process over again. So we were what people call a pattern. Yeah, you know, familiar with those? Anyway, so... We were in this pattern, and we were just pretending that it was normal, and we'd go out one night, and we'd go to Veronica's friend's birthday party, and her friend is a professional clown. <laughs> so we show up at this bar on the Lower East Side, and I shit you not, this bar is full of clowns. <laughs> and here's the thing about clowns, even when they're not in makeup, they still look like clowns. It's still a thing, okay? And uh, we discover that Veronica is the only woman at this bar. Here's another fun fact about clowns. They don't get to talk to women very much. <laughs> so right away, it's like, swoosh, she is surrounded with clowns. All being like, <laughs> everything short of juggling, all right? Now, like I said, I didn't know any of these people. I, I was, this was her friend. So for whatever reason this night, I don't know if it's the only child in me or the performer in me, but I did not like that I was not the center of attention. And it also was hard because the clowns were just kind of tolerating me. I mean, I can remember talking to one clown and he was literally like, uh, he's like, oh, you're an actor? That's great. Anyway, back to you, Veronica. And whatever she would say was hilarious. He'd be like, (laughs) put an arm on her and just tell her she was hilarious and he would know because he's a professional clown. That's his business. And I'm just sitting there being like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in a movie where the good-looking jock is hitting on my girlfriend right in front of me, but the good-looking jock is like way shorter and way quirkier than me. How is that even possible? I've got a good corner on quirk. And it's not like Veronica's interested in any of these guys. She loves me. We're working our way towards saying, I love you. Okay, we're in that heavy of a relationship. But she's so nice. She's so compassionate that she humors these weird-looking lonely men, and I just start to feel ignored. So I make a decision that I'm gonna give up on the night. So I just slowly start to fade away. Just not stop talking to the clowns. I don't even check in with Veronica, and I just make my way to the bar. 
and get started on those 10 beers. About an hour goes by. I get myself really good and moody. (laughs) Veronica claws her way up to the bar, like panting, like, where'd you go? Oh, my God. Really left me hanging out there. Those clowns love to chat. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I don't respond, and she looks at me, and she's like, hey, concerned, are are you okay? Uh, Maybe we should get out of here. So we leave. The minute we get outside, she can tell I'm not okay because I dropped this gem. I'm like, why don't you go back in there and fuck one of those clowns? (laughs) Total beer monster, all right? She's speechless, surprisingly enough. And then I drop this follow-up of, if you love those clowns so much, why don't you go marry one? I've also turned into a fourth grader. I don't know what's going on there. She is literally right away being like, whoa, 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 I did not know you felt that ignored. I am sorry, but I am just getting started. I'm just getting heated up. I'm like, why would you treat me like a piece of shit in front of your friends? And she has to say something that she's been saying to me a lot lately, which is, what are you talking about? And then what friends? I only knew one clown. Like, but that's not enough for me. I, I'm off and running, and we're walking to the subway. We're getting on the platform, and I'm ranting and raving about how she wants to pile it up in the clown car, so to speak. <laughs> and she's just finally, she's like, John, 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 stop, stop. She's like, well, listen to me, all right? This has got to stop. You can't keep treating me this way, all right? If you do, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And that gives me pause, because this means us. That's code for breakup. Well, my drunken mind goes, beat her to the punch. So I respond with, it's over, we're breaking up. Instant tears. She's like, what? Crushed by my insanity. I sit there silently and I watch her cry and I think, boy, someone should really give her a hug. She's taking this real hard. That is until I see an uptown train on the other side of the platform and think, oh, I can get home and run away. I break up with her and run away to an uptown train to Queens. I get on that train. I look out the window and I can see her. We see each other across the platform. And I'm like, I want to really let her know that this is over. So I wave at her like Fernando Ray does in the French Connection through the door and make her convulse with even more tears. Asshole move, guys, but check out the French Connection. Great fucking movie, am I right? I tell you right now, I think even Veronica got the reference at that point in time. So I'm on the train, and I'm doubting some of my life choices now. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. And then I'm like, hey, hey, buddy. This thing that's still inside of me says, hey, (laughs) this is good for you, man. It's good to be back on the single scene. This is a new leaf for you. Keep going with this. Because that's what every woman wants, like an emotionally fragile drunk. Totally, right? So I get off the train, I'm feeling real confident, I'm like, back on the single scene, and I'm approached by a businessman. He's just a middle management guy, kind of pudgy, wrinkled suit, open tie, trench coat, and he's sloshed out of his mind. And he comes up to me, and the first unintelligible words out of his mouth are, I love you, kiss me, take me home with you. (laughs) Back on the single scene, ayo! I'm like, great, Uh, but I'm like, unfortunately, not the kind of attention that I was looking for, so I just decide, you know, instead of getting into that I want a hetero thing, I just kind of say, hey, you know what, no thanks. Well, I guess he only heard the thanks part because he started to follow me home. Yep, I have this repressed family man 
You know, just not with his wife and kids, just following me home, being like, I love you, kiss me, take me home, I love you, kiss me, take me home. He follows me all the way to my doorstep. And I finally sit there, I'm like, I have to let him down. I don't want this to be mean. I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I just turn to him and I look tenderly in his eyes and I just say, hey man, this isn't going to happen. You need to go home. And he pauses, he looks at me, just turns on his heels and goes. And I think, well, that was weird and sobering. And I go up to my apartment. And my apartment at the time was such a shithole. I lived in a two-bedroom with a roommate, and it just was the dirtiest place you could imagine. Um, Just to give you an idea of how awful it was, we had a mural on the wall of, like, God holding an exploding earth. And it was, like, spray-painted like they do those T-shirts at the Jersey Shore. Just a nightmare. But I walk in my room, and my room is the cleanest space in it. And you want to know why it's clean? Because Veronica cleaned it last week. Why did she clean it? That's a long story. Bottom line, she's just an amazing person. And I look around, and I'm just like, what the fuck did I do tonight? And then I realized I just had a sweeter breakup with a guy trying to have a drunken hookup with me than a girl I've been dating for eight months. And I'm just like, holy shit, I'm an asshole. I love this girl. I, I think she loves me. I, she makes me feel like I want to be a better man. So I race to my phone. I, I pick it up. I call her. She picks up. And I'm like, look, look, Veronica, it's me. I'm sorry that I, I did this. I'm an asshole. I don't know why. I, I broke up with you tonight. I don't know what came over me. And this is what she said. She said, I figured I'm in Brooklyn in my apartment. Come on over. Even now, I feel the relief of that moment. And I race to the train. I race there. And there's my businessman. He's back hitting on other people. (laughs) And he sees me, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes trouble. And he walks right by me. It hurt, but it's okay, because I was back in a relationship. Breaking up with someone that I didn't want to break up with because I was drunk was a big wake-up call for me. I went into therapy not long after that, Uh, It was a program offered to families who suffered from the attack. That's where I just started to realize I I was hurting. I realized that I was treating my dad's death as if it was a natural cause, as if it was he died of old age in a heart attack. My therapist was like, no, he was murdered by terrorists. That's going to have a huge emotional impact on you. And she also pointed out other very obvious things to me, like, you maybe shouldn't drink so much and get so mad at your girlfriend. (laughs) This is verbatim. She said this. She said... We can all agree Veronica had no role in your father's death, so there's no reason to be mad at her. (laughs) Eye opener. She didn't work for Osama bin Laden. Who knew, you know? (laughs) I just thought, you know what? She's right. I've been drinking so much because I'm sad about my dad. I was like, Veronica's been right this whole time. Things got better after that. I'm not going to lie to you and say they were perfect, but they got better, and I'm glad they did because I married Veronica. Thank you. So I'm, I'm thankful for my wife, and, and she's in the crowd tonight. Now, honey, I want to say it publicly. I love you, and thank you for making me a better man. She's like, right now, shut up. Uh, the last thing I'd like to say is just after telling this story, I want to kick my own ass, all right? If any person treated my wife the way I just described, I would move heaven and earth to kick their ass. Except if they were a bunch of clowns, because we all know I don't fuck with those guys. So thank you very much, guys.
Daylight's burning my eyes I stayed up all night Staring at the starry sky Ooh, 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 sweet moonshine Just a little taste makes me feel so fine It's dark outside and it's time for bed But you lay awake all night instead Maybe just for an hour or two I'll get to spend some time with you I'll share a cup of coffee and the paper These eyes are tired and yours are open wide It never seems so sweet outside in the morning Time In the morning Time That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the Brothers Comatose behind me now, and we just heard from John Murray. Now, don't forget, you can support Risk. You can help keep things running here if you go to patreon.com slash risk. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash risk. You know, you can give whatever you can, $3 a month, $5, $10, whatever you like. There's plenty of perks and prizes there, and it's a great way to become more of a part of our community here. I want to list for you now the places that Risk is appearing next. We are in Los Angeles. We're back in Los Angeles on April 22nd at the Bootleg Theater. That is going to be a fantastic show. Baron Vaughn will be there. We always love having Baron on the show. April 29th, we're in Minneapolis. We're back in Minneapolis. April 29th, come on out, Minneapolis. On May 20th, we're in Denver. We're back in Denver, Colorado on May 20th. The theme that night is irresistible, and we're still taking pitches for that one. So if you or anyone you know want to pitch us for our irresistible-themed show on May 20th in Denver... Go to the submissions page at risk-show.com. Let's see. On June 9th, we're in Portland, Oregon. On June 10th, we're in Seattle. On June 11th, we're in Vancouver. So on June 9th in Portland, the theme is hype. On June 10th in Seattle, the theme is destructive. And on June 11th in Vancouver, the theme is monster. Uh, again, just go to risk-show.com slash submissions to pitch us your stories. We also have a North Adams, Massachusetts show coming up on July 1st. So if you're anywhere in the area of North Adams, that would be, you know, like Woodstock or Albany or Hartford, you know, all those sorts of places roundabout Massachusetts, July 1st, North Adams at the Mask Mocha. The theme that night is revolting, and we're still taking pitches for that one, too. July 8th, we're in Washington, D.C., back at the Black Cat. July 8th, the theme is one of a kind. Still taking pitches for that. July 15th, we're in Philadelphia. We are at World Cafe Live in Philadelphia on July 15th. Still taking pitches for that one, and the theme is Revelation. 
then <laughs> on September 9th, we're in Salt Lake City again. September 9th, we're in Salt Lake City. The theme is unexpected, and we're still taking pitches for that. So if you want to pitch us, go to wristashow.com slash submissions. If you would like some help with preparing stories, or if you think the staff of your business could use some help with your communication skills, you can find us at thestorystudio.org. We have one-on-one -on -one training over Skype. We have video courses that you can take in your own time. We have courses that people take in groups. And of course, we do our corporate workshops. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Remember to comment about the show, comment about Risk on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Risk Show. On Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. And uh, what the hell else? I don't know. All kinds of things. You can comment. You can comment on the stories on the listen pages at risk-show.com. And that's about it. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. In the morning time In the morning time In the morning time It's the week after Easter, Easter egg The week after Easter, Easter egg well, that hurt now. <laughs> Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. To crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC.